Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Inside the Asperger Studios. Today on the show, I'm joined with Jeannie Conroy. She is the founder of Social Grace. It's an organization that helps those who have autism from everything from finding jobs to getting along in life and much, much more. So sit back, relax, and grab your favorite beverage, because I'm sure this is going to be one hell of a show. See you there. Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Asperger Studios. Today, I'm joined with Jeannie Conroy. Welcome to the show, Jeannie. Thank you for having me, Reed. You're welcome. So why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and we'll get going from there. Okay, well, I hope you're comfortable. Can you have a coffee or a drink with you? It's going to be a little bit long, but I'm going to try to keep it to the point. So I was born and raised in Arlington, Virginia, and I grew up in chaos. It was number five, um, or I am number five of six children. And it was utter chaos. Um, From a young age, I guess you could say that I was always a social detective. I was always curious to learn about behavior and why individuals reacted differently to the same problem. I... um, I grew up like cringing every time my dad would talk to my friends um, because he had no filter and said a lot of really inappropriate things. Uh, My dad struggled with his mental health issues my entire life. He was diagnosed bipolar, but what we know now and what I professionally believe is that he would have the label of ASD. My dad is very intelligent and he'll tell you that, but he struggles with his emotions and executive functioning. And I have three brothers, my two older brothers. Um, I perceived to be big bullies growing up. Um, but today I, I thank them for that because I feel like they have prepared me for uh, real life and um, different situations that I've encountered. There's been a couple of situations that I've encountered where um, I've I'm like, you know what? I grew up with really tough brothers and uh, there is nothing anybody can say to me (laughs) that I am not going to be prepared for. Uh, One of my older brothers um, has ADHD and growing up, he struggled throughout school and would always just ran for school, would run to the basketball court and have to move his body. Um, And I have another older brother who struggled significantly with social anxiety. And I would always feel bad for him um, in my 20s and invite him out to go party with my friends and I. And he would call me you know, the next morning at 6 a.m. ruminating on things that maybe he said, oh my gosh, did I say anything weird? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I'd be like, it's 6 a.m. Go back to sleep. Don't worry about it. You know, Um, but I always, you know, felt bad that he, you know, struggled with his social anxiety and mental health issues. And then um, there's my perfect youngest brother, Russell, who has autism and Down syndrome. And I spent a great deal of time visiting and volunteering in Russell's special education classroom growing up. Uh, When I was a senior in high school, Russell was a freshman, even though he was only a year younger than me. 
And um, I was always in his classroom. His teacher would write me passes to skip physics class. It was great. <laughs> and I did a senior project when I was in high school on inclusion and um, including Russell and his special education class into our um, into our high school, and um, which was really fun. So after high school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I had this one cousin that I really looked up to and I thought she was just super cool and really interesting. And she did PR and moved to Hollywood. And when I was in college, I went into study PR and I wanted to work in a public relations firm. And I went and did a fun little internship with her out in Hollywood. And that was great. But the bad news was they realized that, oh my gosh, I don't want to work with celebrities. I don't want to work in Hollywood. This is not what I want to do. So fun. Like, why don't we do those things before we study, right? And go to college. Why can't we have internships before so we can really figure out what we want to do? But hopefully, you know, tides are changing. Um, so I, I guess I always, you know, felt a calling to go into special education. And again, I was still so interested in behavior growing up in my family. And so um, after college, I worked for a nonprofit for a little while, um, working with um, adults with intellectual disabilities and developmental disabilities. And then I decided to go get my master's at GW in special education with the concentration in emotional and behavioral disabilities. And um, I taught for a while. And then I decided, you know, I, I think I want to become um, a behavior analyst. So I went and took all the classes to become a behavior analyst while I was also teaching in Arlington County. And then I realized, wow, I really don't want to be a board certified behavior analyst. <laughs> so funny, kind of my all my different training. I'm like, wow, I'm glad I, I took all those classes. But then I realized like I, I didn't feel like that that was really helpful with my students. So I taught in the field of special education for close to a decade, I ran a program that used to be called the Asperger's program. Um, now it's called the program, the secondary program for students with autism. And I was a department chair of special education in Arlington County at a big high school. And I left seven years ago after I had my daughter, Grace. Um, and so when I was on maternity leave, I was getting different calls from families that I had previously worked with. And they, you know, it's hearing things like, you know, my young adult is really struggling with this transition to adulthood. Can you help? And I struggled with the idea of, you know, leaving my little infant and going back to teaching full time and running the special education program. I loved working in the school system, but I really felt uh, like I needed to do more for the population that I was servicing. And um, so I took a leap of faith and I started my own private coaching practice um, after having my daughter, Grace. And in the beginning, I would take Grace to lots of different meetings with me when she was so little. And I was on our community services board. And um, I... So I started by just like going from house to house to house and then also being able to spend more time with my daughter. Um, and then I really had no idea 
what God had in store for me, really. I no idea looking back seven years later. So in the last seven years, I started out in the beginning, it was just me. And then I, you know, when I was in the private sector, I was like, wow, we, there's really so much to do in the social, emotional, executive function sphere for the individuals that I was servicing. And again, I, I felt, I always felt, um, a calling because my, I I never felt like my family ever really got the social, emotional support, um, that we needed as a family individually. I remember I mentioned earlier, my brother, one of my older brothers who really struggled with his ADHD and really never got the support that he needed. And then another brother with his social anxiety. So I kind of put all my, you know, um, my favorite things together and started social grace. And my goal, uh, was, to be a resource and a bright light for families. I started a free parent support group seven years ago that meets monthly. Um, And we've just grown. So we now have, we're a whole team um, of, we are therapists, coaches, special educators. We offer one-to-one social and executive function coaching and therapy. We take an individualized and actionable approach with our clients, um, we connect with our clients on common ground. And um, my big thing is being creative. So, you know, everyone, lots of families, especially in our area, talks about th- that cliff um, from post high school to adulthood. And it was my goal to provide resources, coaching, programming to address some of the needs that we have in our community. Um uh, I, we now are a vendor for the Department of Aging and Rehabilitative Services in Virginia. We also have a contract uh, with our county to provide mentoring services um, with the Department of Behavioral Health. And then we also have contracts with um, a variety of uh, private schools to provide social emotional learning, counseling, coaching. Um, and it's just kind of never ending. <laughs> Never ending. Uh, so but I think that's, no, no, that I think that okay. I think I'm, I'm like missing so many other things that I'm constantly doing. I feel like my brain never sleeps. That's kind of my therapy is working. And um, but yeah, that's. So would you I, say that your family and your trainings are what got you working with people who have AFD? Definitely. One hundred percent. Yes. All right. And mm-hmm. my thing is like, I can't, uh, you know, I can't necessarily, I'm so, I would get so frustrated. You know, I wish I had no, knowing everything I know now, oh, that would have been life changing for me as a teenager or a child and my family. Um, so it's my goal to provide all the things that I wish I had, you know, I have a family therapist. <laughs> we have a family therapist on our team, um, you know, just resources for, for coaching and therapy and consulting neurodiverse individuals. So what is a typical deal like for you? Okay. So let's see. 
typical day starts out with my youngest, who's one years old, wakes me up every morning. She is so cute and so different from my first child, which is so funny how kids are so different. Um, when she wakes up, we come downstairs and start our whole routine. I feed her. Um, my other daughter, Grace, wakes up, gets ready for school. Um, we walk, Ainsley and I walk Grace to school. We come back, Ainsley goes down for a nap, and I kind of hit the ground running. I typically have virtual meetings or a few days a week I go to the office. Um, occasionally, Ainsley comes with me when she was really little. She would come with me into the office more often. Now she's a little bit more mobile and kind of all over the place. So it's not as easy. Um, but I do a lot of, um, you know, networking, a lot of professional development, a lot of consulting. So I kind of manage my schedule. But my um, one of my biggest goals is to make sure that I'm also spending time with my children. I know um, my one-year-old is not going to be one forever. So I'm trying to soak up as much time with her throughout the day or try to manage my schedule so that I can see her. So like today, it's a Friday and I work from home on Fridays and I made sure to, to schedule this time with you when I knew that she'd be taking a nap. So lots of planning. <laughs> I spend a lot of time planning my days. All right. What have you learned from your clients? Oh my goodness. So much. My clients have given me a great deal of perspective, especially when it comes to how different everyone's wiring is. Um, what works for me may not work for you. And after building trust with our clients and understanding and with the understanding that I am not trying to control them, that's the big thing. And again, that with my own family members, um, you know, I, I've learned a lot that I have to build that trust um, and we have to work on goal setting together and then work on or actually look at the big picture. Where do you want to be? Where are you now? Where do you want to be? What do we need to do to get it to look like where you want to be? But what do we need to get ready before we can even do what we need to do to get to where we want to be? Um, then once we've built that trust and understanding, then we can move mountains. We overcome obstacles um, and continue to move forward. But my clients continuously remind me how we need to be creative um, and think outside the box. What is the most troubling thing you have come across with your clients? Let's see. It's a great question. I would say the most troubling well, I, I have had a, a few clients that really struggled with leaving their homes. And the way that I'm wired is I'm, I'm, I don't want to give up and I want to do whatever I can or find the best person to go in and help um, a situation or an individual. And I have spent hours and hours working with, you know, adults on the spectrum with significant mental health issues also. Um, and one in particular who, you know, came to me, could not get a job, really, um, really struggled socially. And I helped get every single job that is on his resume. And I would go above and beyond to like get him connected and with resources and, you know, pull different adults in to, you know, create, to work on, you know, having some connections and friends and, um, I've had to learn how to really set boundaries um, and 
I, I think that that's the hardest. I've had um, a couple clients that would, you know, come to my office and if we had an appointment and they would be there for four or five hours waiting, watching my office door. <laughs> um, and they would text me and say, where are you? You're not in your office. Where are you? And I would say, we have an appointment at two 30. Why are you there right now? And, um, I would have to set boundaries um, about when to come to the office. I would have clients, you know, texting me at all hours of the night, calling me. Um, So really learning how to set clear and defined boundaries. um, Again, my big thing is I want to help everybody and I can't. So I've had, um, there have been situations where I would, you know, go and try to help a client who was in crisis, you know, leaving my children at home with my husband. And, you know, I would even give up my weekend time to go and help people in crisis. And I've had to learn the hard way (laughs) that I really needed to set boundaries that I'm not a doctor. I'm not, you know, if somebody is in crisis, then there were other resources, but I had to hold true to my boundaries so that I, you know, spent that time with my own family a couple times there was um, somebody who again the person who i helped get lots of jobs and went out of my what i perceived to have gone out of my way for and bent over backwards for and wanted to help because i saw that he made so much progress and then you know when he hit a wall and was in a really bad place after not working with him for a long time he was a prolific writer and blew up my inbox with really people wow. mean, you know, horrific and prolific emails. Um, and it's, you know, it's hurtful. Um, but again, I would say setting those real clear boundaries, which is really, was really hard for me in the beginning. So you help clients with work, find work. What kind of things do you do to help them find work? Yes, I love networking. That is one of my strengths is always networking with different companies. I built a great relationship with um, a company called Enabled Intelligence, and I'm on their board of advisors um, with the great Peter Kant, who is the CEO, and he's dedicated to hiring neurodiverse individuals. And I so it is my goal to be their number one feeder of amazing employees. Um, so I, you know, typically, you know, everything we do is word of mouth. We have so many adults coming to us saying, I heard that you have an in here, or I heard that you help people get jobs. And yes, that's what we do all the way from the beginning. We look at each, you know, we work with each individual where they are and what their goals are. And we try to help whether it's filling out, just filling out the application to going on mock interviews to, I have been known to go on interviews, which is really fun too. Um, I mean, we do it all if we can. So if we have a provider who can help and support, then that's what we do. If we don't, then we do a lot of referrals out also. So um, all the way from beginning to the end. Um, and then we also advocate with individuals. Uh, just yesterday, I was on a meeting with a one of my clients who works um, in the government and I get invited to uh, all of his quarterly updates and meetings, and I get to work with his supervisors um, on their team. And it's always fun coming from a place of, you know, I'm here to support 
And all of his supervisors have always just been so gracious. Like, thank you so much. Oh, we never thought of that, that tool or that strategy, or thank you so much. Um, can you come to all of our me- meetings? <laughs> so, um, so we do a lot of consulting and coaching, uh, but basically it's just dependent on where someone is and what they're looking for. And if we have a connection, then we want to help. So I'm assuming you've gotten a lot of pe- Lauren, a lot of help over at Enabled Intelligence. I love Lauren at Enabled Intelligence. We are buds and whatever they need, they will pick up the phone and call me and I'll say, oh, whatever the problem is, I'm a professional problem solver. I have a tool and strategy for you. (laughs) So yeah, we've done a lot of talking. Lauren has said that they use you guys for like consultations with their clients or if they or personal meetings, if they need stuff. Occupational therapy. Yep. We have an amazing occupational therapy. I am so blessed because I work with the greatest team. I, I can't do what I do without the team at Social Grace. I we're so lucky to have amazing professionals that support our clients. So we know you help your clients find work. What else do you help your clients with? Oh my gosh, so many fun things. Thanks for asking. Uh, So we specialize in social, emotional, and executive function skills and strategies. Um, You know, the pandemic was really hard, took a really big hit on our clients. And I, I kind of feel like Social Grace didn't really skip a beat. So we pivoted a little bit, did some things online, and then offered things outside programming. So we offer, we work we do run social groups. We do have camps for middle and high schoolers. Um, we we do coaching, therapy, outside of the box. It again, um, we have a lot of moms who call us. Sometimes dads, but typically moms who say, you know, I have a twenty one year old living at home, and they're you know playing a lot of video games and really just kind of stuck. <laughs> and really need some direction or support um, or struggle with social anxiety. And again, that is our specialty, social, emotional, executive function. Uh, We meet you where you are and we work together to kind of build a roadmap. And whether it's a skill we need to learn or a muscle we need to flex, we can, you know, we can work together. Now, do you talk with clients virtually or is it only in the D.C. area? We offer virtual and in-person services. We also even have international clients um, that we've seen internationally. Now, do you have any future plans for Social Grace? I have too many plans for Social Grace, Reed. (laughs) Too many. (laughs) I honestly feel like I'm just getting started. I know that we're going into year seven soon, six. Let's see, my daughter Grace is six and a half and I started Social Grace and she was like four months old. Um, But yes, I have too many plans. I get asked, I think weekly at least, maybe a few times a week, Jenny, can you help me find a girlfriend or can you work with me on dating or I'm not having great luck? But because again, everything we do at Social Grace has been because there was a need in the community or people came to us again, like I had no desire to, or to be a vendor for the Department of Aging and Rehabilitative Services, but it was a group of parents who kind of pushed us and said, we love the services that we're getting through you. Can you please, whatever we need to do, help you fill out this paperwork to get in and do this. Um, So Everything that we do has been 
because people have come to us asking us for support in the social sphere. Um, so yes, I would, I plan to offer dating groups, practical dating groups for, uh, neurodiverse adults, which I'm really excited about. I, we kind of do that a little bit one-to-one, um, but I have a vision for being really creative and, you know, doing speed dating and getting actually getting out in the community and introducing, but really working on, again, practical skills when it comes to the world of dating. I think that stuff is so fun. So that's kind of one of my fun projects that I'm working on. Um, I also have this launch into adulthood program that I piloted prior to the pandemic that I hope to pull back out and work on with our friends at Enabled Intelligence. So anybody who comes through our launch program can launch into a career of interest or launch into Enabled Intelligence, and they would be certified as a Data One annotator. So that's another project that we have in the future. Um, But that's kind of where we are now with our projects. All right. Now, how did you come up with the name Social Grace? I kind of took my two favorite things. I love teaching social learning. Um, And then, you know, when I had no idea what I wanted to name, what I was doing, and I had just had this cute little baby named Grace. And I kind of just put my two favorite things together at that time, at that time, Um, my love for social learning and then grace. And then, you know, our name really does have so many meanings. And if you think about it, we all need to give ourselves grace in any and all social situations. Um, Anytime we encounter another human being. Um, So it's kind of taken on lots of different names. A couple of times I was going to change the name because I I thought maybe it was too feminine. Um, I remember one day I was at church and one Sunday and I had just gotten ready to change the name and I was getting ready to switch it over like that weekend. And the whole sermon was about grace. And I was like, okay, I got it. We're not changing the name. (laughs) I felt like that was kind of a sign. Yeah. It's like a sign from God saying, don't change the name. Keep it. I'm like, okay, this is what we're doing. And we've got a lot of work to do. Um, I, I really do feel like we're just getting started. Now, what advice would you give to those who are struggling with adapting to today's norm? Oh my gosh, so many things, but I would stick with, um, I actually have this little post-it. I wish that I had it with me. I don't. I have a post-it and it's just a circle. Mm -hmm. Imagine taking a post-it and just draw a circle. And on the inside of the circle, I tell people to write can control. And then on the outside of the circle, I write can't control. And typically, um, I find that those struggling to adapt to today's social norm are focusing on all those things outside of the circle that they can't control, myself included. So I work with our clients uh, to brainstorm and stay focused on in the circle, starting with the beginning of your day. What are the things that you can control? I can wake up, brush my teeth, you know, have a nice cup of coffee. I can breathe. I can journal, I can 
you know, phone a friend if I need to, but kind of staying focused on all the things that you can control. So again, I wish I could show you upstairs on my refrigerator. I have that post-it with a circle and on the inside of the circle says can control. And then I just remind people to stay focused on what you can control. Because again, when you focus on all those things that you can't control, mm-hmm. you know, that's where it, when the anxieties creep in. Um, and then oftentimes I tell people to delete social media from your phone or turn off the television. Uh, you know, when you feel fill your day with work and whether it's volunteer work or getting out in the community and picking up trash, which we do a lot with our with our clients. We do a lot of community service projects with the with our clients. And um when you focus on you know the things that really matter, then all that kind of stuff gets weeded out and it just becomes like background noise that you can train your brain to ignore. Yeah, that sounds like some things people used to tell me when I would stress out, like in school or anything. They say, listen, you got to focus on the things you can control. Yes. And not focus on things you have no control over. Like, don't focus on your parents. Don't focus on this. Don't focus on that. But focus on yourself. Because if you focus on other things you have no control over is your worrying just gets worse and worse and worse yep. and it overrides everything else you have and you just become a mess yeah and I, that's exactly right and sometimes you have to remind others to you know surround yourself with positive influences you know when i used to hang out with certain people um that were you know, very negative or engaging in activities that were not healthy, then, you know, I felt like I, it was kind of bringing me down. So I've, you have to make a conscious effort of surrounding yourself by, you know, positive influences, not perfect influences. Cause I am the first person to tell you, I am nowhere near perfect. Um, nor is anybody I know. If you know that person, please let me know. I'd love to meet them. But <laughs> I, <laughs> But surround yourself with people who can, you know, support you and um, not be a negative influence, I think is really important. I mean, yeah, I have a friend who's so all over the place. I mean, he's all worried about his parents because of money and they're all on disability. And I keep telling him this. I keep saying, listen, you got to focus on you. Yes. Your money Yes, it's nice that you're taking some of your money and helping your parents, but it's not the son's, it's not the child's job to take care of the parent. It's the parent's job to take care of the child. Right. And then, you know what, that you bring up a good point, because sometimes we want to be there for our friends. Um, And I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm not in a good place. Like if I have a hundred things to do and someone calls me and says, Oh, I need, I need to tell you about my workday and what happened. I've had to learn how to say, you know what, right now I'm not psychologically available to hear you (laughs) or help you because I'm experiencing overwhelm. So sometimes it's, it's developing my own communication style of saying, listen, can we, can we set up a time where you, I just want to listen? Um, or maybe if I am available, I'll say, Hey, do you want me to just listen? Or are you looking for me to give you some of my thoughts on what you want to tell me? Um, but again, I've had to really learn how to, I I never want to hurt people's feelings, but sometimes I really, 
I have so much on my plate um, that I have to, again, set those boundaries on what I can take on and listen to. Um, Like again, my dad, my dad, who I was scared of until I was 20 years old, who struggles with his mental health issues. And uh, knowing what I know now, you know, and I love my dad, I was traumatized by him growing up. Um, That's a whole nother podcast episode Mm -hmm. that we'll have to set up in the future, Reed. I'm not gonna go into all that right now. No, I'd love to talk to your dad. Yeah, oh gosh. You might, you could book him for weeks at a time. You, yeah, that would be so fun. I'll have to connect you guys. But anyway, so I, um, my dad will call me one to two times a day, at least to just check in or tell me what he's making for dinner. Um, tell me about the weather of the day. And I've had to learn how to either, you know, answer the phone quickly and say, is it an emergency? Cause a couple of times he's had to call me and I needed to be there as an emergency or dad, may I please call you back or I need to call you back. Um, so setting those boundaries for my own mental health, um, so that I can, you know, get through my day, um, it's been really important. And again, you know, everything that we do, I feel like as you grow and you gain wisdom and you, you kind of learn what works for you and you just stick with it. And, um, I've had to learn how to communicate better over the years. I mean, it was kind of like when I was in school, my father out of nowhere would contact me and and just to talk. And then the last thing he'd always say is, are you glad you're, you, are you glad you went there? Yeah. Your and dad was, and I, I swear are related. And, and, and I'm serious when it, every conversation <laughs> would end that way. And it's like, yes, it didn't change since the last time I talked to you. Yes. I, I love being yes. in England. And going yeah. to school here, and I enjoy the people, Dad. And then I found out later when I was talking with my mom after my father had passed away, he's like, mm. "Your father just wanted to make sure you were happy." Oh, I know. Because he was so proud of you. I'm like, why didn't he just say that? Yes. Like, oh, yeah. He's that's, like, our... that's not your father. He loved yeah. you, and he just wanted to make sure you were safe. I we know. Knew, I mean, they knew I was unhappy during the holiday time. And my mom's like, why didn't you come home? I'm like, you, you, both of you told me to stay. Yeah, great. Because of the Thanks cost. For bringing that up now. <laughs> because yes, like, I was unhappy, but I made, but I made it my own. You know, yeah. And, you know, you bring up a great point. You know, all these things that happened to us in childhood that come up, you know, later in life, which is so funny, but all, you know, all those experiences positive and negative that have kind of built who we are today. I know so many, you know, I have family members who don't talk to my dad because they're mad at him for what happened in the, in the past. And, and that's, that's how they cope. But I, you know, I take all those negative experiences and I use that for motivation to help all the families that I get to service and help today and all the young adults. Cause I'm like, I know, I know exactly what you need. I've lived this. I've lived the whole <laughs> spectrum. And um, I, I, I can do this. So it's funny how, you know, I feel like I was able to take all those, you know, negative experiences and turn them into positives for others. I, I tell people I, I took my mess and turned it into a message of hope for other families. And then other, you know, everyone's wired so differently. Like I said, some people in my family, you know, don't want anything to do with my father because of the way that he is wired and that's okay. Maybe in the future they will learn and grow. 
Well, so I mean, it's, it's switch places. I mean, with you being my mother and me being your father, my mom had to constantly put out fires because I would say things and not think about what I just said and it get back to them. And then all of a sudden they get a phone call yep. from somebody on my sister-in-law side that I said something to or somebody and they sit there screaming and yelling at me and they'd have to sit there and say, listen, he didn't mean what he says. He has no filter. So he just speaks his mind. Right. And they are so afraid of what I'll say to somebody. A lot of my, they're afraid to like help me find work because they're afraid I'll say something wrong to the, to the person that they set me up with to talk to about a job. And it's just become this, we're worried about Reed because he's going to say the wrong thing. But now, yeah, that's life, exactly. as I got older, I've kind of learned to not mask, but monitor what I say in my head. And then there are times where I just get so tired. At the end of the day, I slip. So you mean you're human? Yeah. Yeah, I'm human. <laughs> Isn't it exhausting being a human sometimes? Yeah, because, I mean, yeah, we have to monitor what we say, but it's hard. It is so hard. I mean, for, for everybody, too, um, and can be exhausting. And it is my goal at Social Grace to, you know, be an advocate for everyone that I work with and teach you know, employers and supervisors, how to take perspective. And oftentimes I find myself having to work with, you know, educators and educating them on being a little bit more flexible or yeah. taking perspective. <laughs> so, I mean, it wasn't until several years back, a, one of my favorite YouTubers said something and I relate this to everybody and I tell everyone this. And she says, the minute you stop caring about what people say to you, and think about you is when you start living your life. Yes. Amen. It, and it basically means have a thicker skin. Don't yep. care about what people say or do. If you, if we could go out in the world and not care about what others think of us, you can stim in public and not care because we're not out there to impress other people. No. We're, we're stimming to stim because we need to self-stimulate. Right. I um I work with a lot of fun teenagers and in the summers we run summer camps and we do have um lots of teenagers who I guess today or back in the day would have been called, you know, or labeled as Asperger's and today they are ASD level 1 and I feel like those are always my favorite teens that I get to work with, especially, you know, the teens that come and they you know, not only are they te- they teenager is one layer of the fun, right? No. <laughs> but then when you throw on some ASD and then just some, you know, some unfortunate coping strategies and wanting to push people away because that works for them. So they don't have to get close to people and hurt. Um, this summer I had, um, a young man who I was trying to kind of redirect so that he listened to the leader of the camp this summer. And I just happened to be there that day. And he, he didn't really know me and we didn't have a relationship. And, and he called me a name that I had never heard. I don't even know if I can say it on on this okay he um i tried to redirect him and he's a teenager and he he said listen 
come dumpster. You need to get away from me. And I, I, I smiled and started laughing. And I was like, what? I, I was like, that is a new one. I've never been called a come dumpster, man. I was like, wait a minute. How do you spell that? Can I write that one down? <laughs> and he, you know, it's all the way, it's all about how you react to a problem or whatever someone says to you. And I was like, you know, I had the two biggest bullies as brothers. So there is nothing you can say that I have not already heard except that. That was a new one. But I was like, man, that was a good one. What did that even mean? And um, it, it diffused the situation with a little bit of humor. But I know educators who would have heard that and been like, oh, I'm calling your mother. Or, you yeah. are out of this camp or out of this group. And um, I just kind of left. And um, I, yeah, it's just kind of a funny situation. It's all in how you react. I, yeah. I had to learn um, the hard way that people, situations and events do not cause stress. Do you know what causes stress, Reed? Do you know <laughs> yes, what, yes. what, what causes it? stress? Yeah, it's it's our reactions to those things. So yeah. it was all the way that I reacted to that young man. Or when I'm running to a meeting and there's traffic, um, does the traffic cause my stress? No, it's my reaction. I can look at it and say, oh, wow, I this is a great time to call a friend or I can look at it and start hyperventilating. Right. So it's I've had to train my brain um, and then model and teach my clients how to train their brain and control their reactions to whatever problem they have there. They encounter or they have to face. So really fun. Yeah. I mean, that kind of reminds me of a situation I was in. I used to volunteer at our planetarium here. And every third Thursday of the month, we'd have what was called After Dark. It was a after-hours party for adults. So I was working that one of them. I was working it. And I'd come upstairs from where I was working. And there were two elderly. There was an elderly couple that volunteered with us. And I was friendly with them. One was a teacher. And the other, and their husband was a uh, an engineer. So, without even thinking, without skipping a beat, I go, you know, there's a new type of dance out there for older people. It's called standing still. <laughs> and she just looked at me, and without a beat, she goes, "I'll get you. You you just watch." <laughs> and I told that to my supervisor just to play safe, so I didn't get in trouble. Who also had autism, and she's like, she was a school teacher, and that's why she said what she said because. She knows you didn't mean it. She knows you said in the play mentioned in the playful way. Mm, yep. You had a sounds like you've had great people around you that have helped sometimes. And we all need that person to help us navigate troubled waters, right? Yeah, I mean, and part of the problem is I don't think parents today realize when you're yelling at an autistic kid, we go into what's called a lockdown. Yep, defense mode. Defense mode. I've learned, I've learned this from Asperger's Secrets. And when you go into yeah. defense mode, defense we mode, go into yeah. a shell. Yep. And we yeah. shut down and we don't say a word. Yep. I train parents to stop talking. I've had some parents uh, that will call me and say, listen to my teenager screaming profanities at me. And then they'll say, it's okay, honey, I'll be right here. And you know, they have me on speakerphone and I tell them like, shut up, stop talking. You know, when somebody's <laughs> in crisis, there is nothing you can say in that moment mm -hmm. 
that is going to help them. So stop talking, maybe just provide a little proximity control, meaning just be there, present, hold space and stop talking. And then when they're calm or schedule a time to debrief or talk about it later. Um, but yeah, de-escalating a crisis, that's that's something that I've had to learn over the years and yeah. practice and model for families. And, and um, we talk a lot about that in our monthly parent support group. I have parents that come and they just need to be heard. Um, and I love supporting families because again, I wish that I had support um, when I was growing up in chaos. Yeah, no, I mean, my parents never knew I was autistic until later in life. And they, they wish they knew what they knew then then they would be able to understand what's going through my head. I mean, a great situation like this is when I went away to college, I had my first meltdown ever, and my dad didn't know what was going on. He kept telling me, stop crying, stop crying, you're (laughs) making a fool of yourself. And I'm on the phone with my mom because I'm upset. She's on the other side of the barrier with me because they went and let both my parents through because of everything that happened with 9-11 and we Mm -hmm. tried everything under the sun to let them both and my dad's on the cell phone with me while my mom is in the store getting stuff for my dad paper and gum and he's like stop crying you're making a fool out of yourself that sounds just like my father yeah not a lot of show emotion and then all of a sudden and then all of a sudden the minute the gate call goes up it's like a light switch goes off and i stop crying well yep it's amazing. Anyways, now what kind of help do you give those who are trying to find work? So, again, it's kind of dependent on the individual. Um, sometimes we work to coach someone through the interview process um, or apply for jobs or just make a connection um, or help them find a mentor in the field that they're interested in um, or yeah, it just it's dependent on each individual and where they are in the process. Do you want I know this has been told to me many, many times when I've gone to interviews is do you tell them don't offer up the world? Because we can talk and talk and talk and tell them things they don't need to hear. Oh, yeah, definitely. And um, I <laughs> I'll never forget. I had this one young man. It was his first job ever. And I actually got permission to go with him to the movie theater um, on an interview to work at the movie theater. And this was his first job when he was a teenager. Now he's graduated college. I've known him and worked with him, had worked with him for a long time. And I'll never forget, I was sitting next to him. And because again, he was just a teenager. He was in high school, first real interview. And um, one of the questions, you know, um, was telling me about, you know, tell me about what you, why you want this job. He loved movies and then tell me what your weaknesses are. And he said, well, you know, I really don't like loud noises. I really, <laughs> I really don't like to be around a lot of people. And here I am like with my arm, like, mm, like kind of shoving him with my right arm, like, mm. and then what, what I think you meant by that was, <laughs> so that was, that was kind of fun. We get to I always remember that. That was a really fun interview. He got the job um, and kept the job till he went to college. Um, and um, a couple of times the supervisor would call me and, you know, um, ask me a few different questions and I gave them some support. Um, but 
that was that was really fun. So yes, uh, we you know, kind of have our mock interviews, I feel like kind of down to a science, but really work with individuals on what their strengths are and really try to highlight their strengths and take their weaknesses um, and turn some of their weaknesses into make them look like strengths or or weaknesses. So or less of a more severe weakness, I should say. <laughs> what are some of the biggest challenges you've faced? more hours in the day. <laughs> and honestly, I think that some of the biggest challenges I face are just the the internal struggle in um, getting done all the things. My vision is so big and what I see and what I feel like families need and what adults on the spectrum need and want and that internal um, battle of wanting to spend more time with my own children um, and setting boundaries and realizing that Rome was not built in a day. I have to remember that, you know, life is a marathon, not a sprint, all those little cliche things that I try to tell myself um, and try, you know, to get my brain to relax, to try to stay focused on one thing at a time. But I would say um, also bringing in more providers who share similar values. Um, again, I have the greatest team at Social Grace. Um, we have this amazing program manager named Sarah, who essentially runs, makes everything just work. <laughs> and she is incredible. Um, and she really gets it. And I've been really blessed with individuals on our team who have a personal connection or have a family member on the spectrum or a neurodiverse um, family members and they get it. So that's, you know, I feel like with what we do, we always talk about, do, do you guys get it? <laughs> Does this therapist really get it and understand, you know, um, the neurodiverse or neurodivergent brain, I should say. And I've been really blessed with the individuals that I that we have on our team to help the families that we serve. And again, I think one of the other challenges we face um, in the past, I would, when I was coaching more clients, I would have different clients that I felt like I was not able to connect with or not able to make progress with. And I would tell families because my lack of filter, I'd say, listen, I feel like I'm wasting your money. We're not making any progress. And it was weird because families would say, Oh, but can you just try for one more month? Can we just do a few more? <laughs> um, and I was like, what? Uh, I mean, I just, I will try or I will do my darndest to find who I feel like would, could be maybe a better fit because yes, um, even Ginny doesn't connect with everybody. So being really honest about, you know, that that's part of real life, you know, if, if I don't, if we're not able to really connect or if the individual really doesn't want help, then we cannot help them. Um, if they don't want to leave their house or, you know, they're not getting the psych psychological help that they need to kind of help bring that wall of anxiety down, then we cannot make progress together. We can't work on our goals together. Um, but so, yeah, so I would say bringing on um, more providers. <laughs> All right. What are the age range? Uh, what are the ages ranges you deal with? Middle through adults. 
adults of all ages. So when we do offer programming, some programming, not a ton, but we do have um, a couple social groups for middle schoolers, high schoolers, and then we do have our fun get out of the house camp in the summer time. Um, and again, everything I do is focused on real life skills. Um, Cause I found when working in the public school system, you know, they I feel like, again, I loved working in the school system, but there were so many things that were needed, like real life skills or working on the skills you needed to get a job and keep a job. Um, so, so we specialize in real life skills. <laughs> All right. What advice would you give to parents raising a child with ASD? So many, um, so many things. But I would, number one is model, model, model. Um, and I always like, I want parents to like, create a plaque or a poster with the with the word independent right what does it look like to be independent for your child and for everybody that's different right and that's okay but i would say you know talking with your child about independence like starting as young as possible and work on those skills whatever your child can do if they can brush their own teeth like work with them developing a plan to from brushing their teeth to making their lunch um i model 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 by you know i'm holding my phone right now and i will you know tell my daughter all the time and even in coaching clients i'll say oh you know can you hold on one second? I'll say, Hey Siri, remind me to send this email at 2 PM or remind me to, um, wish Katie a happy birthday. Yesterday was my sister-in-law's birthday. So I had to set a reminder, remind me at 7 PM because she lives on the West coast to FaceTime Katie and wish her a happy birthday. All the things that I need to do, I will model and I will set reminders. And what's amazing is my daughter who's six and a half is doing all those things. She is talking to her Alexa and setting reminders and she is planning out her day. And it's all from just modeling. You know, the other night I was finally just crashing and sitting down on the couch next to my husband and my daughter walks in and she goes, okay, mom, first I'm going to go take a shower and then I'm going to brush my teeth and then I'm going to get my backpack ready for tomorrow. And then I'm going to fill up my water bottle. So it's all ready. I'm going to pack my snack. I'm going to lay out my outfit for school tomorrow. Wow. And she was going through and I, my husband and I just kind of paused and looked at each other <laughs> and didn't say anything. And then she said, okay, so I'm going to go get my routine done. And then and then she has a little skincare routine that she does. And then she said, and then when I'm all done, then we can watch a family show. And then um, you can read me one book and I'll go to bed. And um, I, we were silent and she went upstairs to get ready. And I looked at my husband and I just gave him a big high five. And I was like, yes, not only does she take after me, but I did it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a all, child well. <laughs> yes, but it's all, you know, and I was pulling my hair out a year ago and you know, we definitely have worked a lot. I have a a little sensory child who's really struggled with her sensory processing. So it's, you know, holding our kids accountable without micromanaging really is an art and developing, allowing them to learn from making mistakes. You know, when I was growing up, anytime I made it, made a mistake, my dad would call me an idiot or stupid. And again, people hear that and think that, oh, what a terrible father. I'm like, nope. 
his brain is wired this way. That's just the way, you know, maybe he learned that that was a learned behavior from his childhood. Um, but I, I was scared to make mistakes and I've made sure that, you know, I encourage mistakes with my children. And when my daughter comes home from school, I ask her questions like, Hey, tell me, tell me one mistake that you made today. What did you learn? What are you going to do differently next time? So kids need to learn, um, that, having problems is not so scary. And if I do have a problem or make a mistake, then what um, are some things that I can do? So we at Social Grace talk a lot about, you know, equipping equipping our children with the tools and strategies they need to problem solve and self-regulate. And then if you can do that, you can do anything. You can work with people um, of all abilities. Um, you can accomplish anything if you have the problem solving and self-regulation tools and strategies. And again, I'm not just because I teach this stuff doesn't mean that I'm perfect. It's something that I have to personally work on every single day. Um, so yes. That reminds me of when I was in high school, we had an event called Snowball and it was a district-wide thing. I wonder if you've heard of it before. And what it is, is we they we went out to Woodstock, Illinois, and it was about teaching camaraderie by using things called warm fuzzies and cold pricklies. Ooh. If you said something nice to somebody, you'd get a little piece of yarn that you would tie around your yard necklace. You said something bad, you get it taken away. Hmm. It was all about making friends. I love that. I'm going to use that in the future, Reed. Thanks. Not a problem. And it was great. But the funny thing was, I mean, there was this one time I was there and I was tired. It was late at night and I'm laying down at this bench and we have a big old fire going. And one of the heads of it comes up to me and goes, are you okay, Reed? Are you on drugs of any kind? And I'm thinking, what kind of thing is it asked during this time, during this outing? You don't ask somebody that kind of question. I'm just tired. But yeah, but it taught it taught these school kids about being nice with others. Love snowball. I'm writing that down right now. Yeah, it's called snowball. Yeah, we so social grace has a uh, half dozen contracts in different private schools. We have counselors or social emotional learning teachers there. Um, so I'm going to be sharing that so that they can go and incorporate that activity. I love that. Yeah, and basically what they do is the kids volunteer, kids will sign up if they want to go and. Usually a place is cho- chosen that they'll take this trip out to. I love that. And it was, I enjoyed it. Yeah. And finally, Jeannie, where can people find out more about you and Social Grace? They can go online, www.socialgracellc.com. And they can submit if, if, they're looking for support or coaching or therapy or just a resource. Again, one of the things that we do a lot of is just providing resources. If we can't help you, then maybe we have a resource or we can point you in the right direction. Um, So they can go online and set up a free phone consultation with our incredible program manager and um, get connected. Um, And I guess the last thing I should also mention is we do a lot of free support in our community with this great nonprofit called Our Stomping Ground, which I'm going to connect you to also. Mm -hmm. And um, we provide free social programming weekly and monthly for Our Stomping Ground. Also for adults um, to, you know, 
get into more affordable housing and then just providing community around adults in independent living situations also. And that's it, ladies and gentlemen. That was Jeannie Conroy of Social Graces, LLC. Nice, great show, Jeannie. Thanks for having me, Reed. Not a problem. It's the way things used to be I'm no big fan of now I must have some sweeter memories Somewhere in the cloud Welcome to the new normal Welcome to the new normal Welcome to the new normal Shout Miss all you used to be Gonna miss all you had Consigned to the dustbins of history Like opinions from your dead Talk to the freaks You can talk to just about anybody You happen to meet It ain't what it 